Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Barely Bookish podcast. Today, I am joined once again with Candace. Hi! We are actually going to be finishing Kindred today, so I won't even hold you up anymore. Let's jump right into the episode. Rufus then also admits he sold Sam because he thought Sam won in Dana. Yep. And then after that, Rufus is like, tells Dana that her and Alice are two sides of the same coin and that yep. he like kind of wants her. And he's like, you could just take her place. And I'm like, yep. ah! and then so Alice, I'm oh, sorry. Dana runs upstairs trying to get away. She grabs her knife. This all started happening really, really fast. Yep. And there's that moment, by the mm. way. Kevin's like, leave your fucking bag. Stop it. You're being crazy. Yeah. You're being paranoid. She didn't it's have not that really knife. happening to you. Racism isn't real. Don't do it. Yeah. And if she hadn't fucking had her bag, mm-hmm. this man would have raped her. Yep. He would have raped her. He would have assaulted her. He would have tied her up mm-hmm. and left her there. He goes to find her when she runs up the stairs to go check her shit. Mm-hmm. And he opens the door to the attic. And he doesn't even look at her. He looks around to make sure they are alone. Yeah. And she like, looks oh, around no. to make sure that she is by herself. She sees him look around. And in that moment, like, this is what I'm saying, right? There's a question in the back of this book for like study groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the questions is, um, how do you feel this story would have changed mm-hmm. if, um, if Dana had like, if, if Kevin had never gone back in time, right. Mm-hmm. How would this story have been different if uh if if dana had had gone back in time just like alone solo yeah right or you know like little little bits and pieces and i think this is actually one of the questions right is like this moment mm-hmm. if if kevin hadn't been like oh this isn't a big deal right or if she had allowed herself to be lulled into that like false sense of of, of comfort yeah this would have been the end of her story yeah like this would have been it and it would have been Kevin's fault. And this is somebody that is an intelligent and self-possessed woman. Mm-hmm. And her safety literally comes down to two white dudes. Yep. Like that is the most true thing <laughs> in the world. Mm-hmm. Like my personal safety I was pulled over one day by two police officers. Nothing was wrong with my car. I must have fit a description. They had no reason to pull me over. They sent me off with no ticket. Didn't even check my license and registration. Like it was shortly before um, COVID had happened. Uh, The first police officer approached my car. Normally the second officer had his hand on his weapon. They did not pull me over until I had leaned over and they could see through my back window that I had curly hair. I think it was my hair that gave me away that I had coarser hair Mm -hmm. and not straight hair. And, like, I drive a nice car. There's no need for that. I drive a Mini Cooper. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like I'm, you know, I look like I am up to no good or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, which, I mean, what does that say about you if you think somebody in a not nice car is up to no good? But whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> so like, whatever. He, like, has his hand on his gun. And Jason, my partner, was in the passenger seat. Mm-hmm. And leaned around me as I rolled the window down. And I didn't even get a word out of my mouth because I was terrified. Mm-hmm. And he goes, hey, officers, can I help you? He goes, Candace, let me handle this. Hello. How can I help you today? Oh, uh, sorry about that. This uh, we, we must have stopped the wrong people all of a sudden. Oh, no. Yeah. 
they see Jason, hand comes off the weapon, all of a sudden there's all smiles, sunglasses get taken off, just having a conversation, buddy. Yeah. Having a talk, chum, right? But like, if it had just been me in that car, who knows what would have happened? Yeah. Who knows? You're approaching me for not doing anything wrong. I have not had a ticket in forever. Mm-hmm. Nine years, mm-hmm. I haven't been ticketed. Completely clean license, right? Been to traffic school one time mm-hmm. in the 20 years I've been driving, almost. So, like... If I had been there by myself and I hadn't said something that they liked or I I made them feel uncomfortable, how would my life have changed, right? Mm -hmm. I should not have to rely on my white partner being there to feel safe on a Tuesday morning driving to work. Yeah. That's crazy, right? But that's my life. That's my life. When I go places, do I like just going off by myself and just like driving just to drive, man, just traveling the winding roads of the countryside? No. No, no, I do not. I like the buddy system Mm -hmm. and I don't want to rely on my male white partners (laughs) privilege to be okay. Because how many people out there can't rely on that? Mm -hmm. Don't have somebody like that. You know what I mean? It's not awesome to think about the fact that like, I mean, granted, every woman goes through this too, right? Like you're at a party, somebody spikes your drink. You've only had two. You think you're going to be fine with just two drinks, but somebody has spiked it. So now you're hammered. Mm -hmm. You can't protect yourself. It's up to every single dude at that party Mm -hmm. to be a decent human being and not put their hands on you, right? Like your safety is now in someone else's hands completely because somebody decided to take that from you. And that's essentially what's happening to Dana. Mm -hmm. That almost happens to Dana. I mean, granted, it's still happening to her because Rufus is making the decision to force her into doing something that she doesn't want to do because he thinks that he's kind of at the end of his rope Mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter now. Yep. What happens next? He doesn't want her going back. Yeah. So maybe he can make it so that like she stays because he's kind of started to figure out that like she gets sent home when she feels like she's in danger. Mm-hmm. So he's real nice about it. But yeah, obviously, he apologizes like, he to says, her. Yeah. He, she even says like, I, I could tell that his grip of my hand was one that was very soft and tender, but could quickly become painful and agonizing Mm -hmm. if I didn't do what he wanted. Like there's a vibe. And I think that any woman who's ever felt unsafe, Mm -hmm. you know what those, those, those moments before you feel unsafe, you know what that feels like. There's Mm -hmm. like a frequency. There's like a hum in the air. There's like a, like your, your hair kind of stands up on your arms a little bit. Like your spider sense starts tingling and you're like, uh Oh, there's a fucking creep nearby. You know what I'm saying? Like you get this moment where you're just like, I am unsafe as a woman. I need to stop. Mm -hmm. You're walking to your car in the middle of the night and your footsteps behind you. You're at a party and somebody's staring at you a little too long. Like a guy won't leave you alone on a dance floor. Like whatever it is, right. These little tiny things Mm -hmm. that these men do sometimes to like take, that agency away from you, Mm -hmm. whether they know they're doing it or not. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a feeling and like reading this, that's exactly how I felt. Like it was a lot. I had to put the book down. Um, If you are somebody who's ever felt unsafe, this will be a big moment for you in this book. Yeah. Treat yourself with care and with caution. Recognize that this book is full of tons of all kinds of triggers. Mm -hmm. If you are somebody who has felt as though your body has been handled by someone else without your permission in any way, shape or form, there's going to be a lot of those moments here. I would not say to not read it because I think it's still absolutely validating and worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just throwing that out there, I had to stop for a minute. Yeah. Like I, had to, I had to take a second because this is our heroine. She's done everything right. Mm-hmm. She's played by the rules to the point where she's had to counsel somebody to just allow themselves to be raped mm-hmm. by somebody. Like she has literally been through the ringer. She has no support system 
in the 21st century, in the 20th century. She only has a support system and a small one Mm -hmm. in the 1900s. And even the support that they give is more of the just shut up and take it because that's what's helped them. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's rough. Like this moment to me was a turning point that like, again, I mean, very much like Dana, I was not surprised it was happening, but I was still surprised it was happening. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like how far gone is he, you know, like you start this off thinking he could never be worse than Tom Whalen. Yeah. And he's worse. I mean, by far. Yeah. By far. Because to me, somebody who's going to be racist as a, as a principal, right. That's part of who they are. Mm-hmm. They are not ashamed of it. Right. You can calculate what that person's going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, if I talk back to Tom Whalen, he's going to feel minimized as a white guy and he's going to be in his feelings. So he's going to seek to embarrass me or humiliate me or put me in my mm-hmm. place. Right. A plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. Easy. Rufus. I mean, anything could set him off. Yeah. Anything. The wind looks bad today. And yeah, everybody is doing fucking doubles around the fucking field. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, even with Sam, there's a conversation that he has with Dana before he sells Sam, where he's like, I would never with you. And they have that whole like friend zone conversation where she's like, ew, no. And he's like, ew, no, I know. Right. No, I have Alice. And she's like, yeah, you have Alice. And like, you need to be nicer to her so you can keep her. Like she's, you know, she doesn't trust you. You need mm-hmm. to like work on that relationship. Like they have a whole conversation about how Dana is off limits. She even has that conversation with Alice and Alice is like, it's only a matter of time for you. Yeah. And Dana's like, what do you mean? No. I was like, no. He doesn't feel that way. Yeah. He doesn't feel that way until he feels that way. Mm-hmm. I think he's always felt that way. I just think that Alice was a stand-in for Dana mm-hmm. more than Dana being a stand-in for Alice. I think that Dana has always been the big fish, personally. I can see that. Now I can see that. I, I'll be honest, right? I didn't... It didn't even cross my mind. You know what I mean? Like that, like I knew he could do awful, horrible things, but until that conversation where he sold Sam, I did not think it was going to go that far. Man, like I got the tiniest inkling because I started thinking about it. Like on this page, 256, Mm -hmm. right? We're almost at the end of this book. Like there are literally like a handful of pages left to read. And I just was like, wait a minute. So Rufus meets Dana. She's his guardian angel. Mm -hmm. Think about it from a child's perspective, right? He's five or however old he is when she saves him from drowning. His guardian angel is a black woman. It's confusing to him or a black man because he thinks she's a man. It's confusing to him because he's like, we own black people. Yeah. I was saved because I was supposed to be saved, whatever. So he kind of buries it. Then when he's a little older, right? She saves him from the fire. Mm -hmm. Um, you realize that she is that he realizes that she's a woman. Mm-hmm. He tells her she's kind of pretty, right? He talks to her about his life. They become fast friends. However much of a friend you can be to a slave owner. Mm-hmm. Then like she comes back again when he's a teenager. He's noticed Alice. Mm-hmm. He talks about her, the fact that she's pretty, right? But it's more offhand than anything. Mm-hmm. She knows he's going to be with Alice because she knows about Hagar. Yeah. But like, he's not like, oh yeah, Alice is my betrothed and I'll love her forever. Mm -hmm. It becomes that. And part of me wonders, does it become that because he's obsessed with Dana and the older Alice gets, the more she looks like Dana. You see what I'm saying? So she grows up into a Dana that he can have. Mm -hmm. She won't have him. He can't have the other Dana. That's too much. So he goes to great lengths to procure the Dana he can have. And when she's dead, it's fine. It's finally time for him to take the one that he actually wants. I could see that. I really like can. Like that's terrifying. That 
It's horrifying and it's disgusting. And it's like, he is her many times great grandfather. Yeah. 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 I will say though, like, so Dana stabs him in the side, kills him. And then as she kills him, um, who runs in? Someone runs in. I forgot to write that down. I think it's Nigel. Nigel, you're correct. Mm-hmm. Nigel runs in, sees this happening, and is like, oh my god. And then Dana gets ripped from that time period. And I think the thing that's really chilling to me is the fact that she, his hand still on her arm is the reason her arm is ripped off. Yep. The thing that terrifies me, though, is that imagine what would happen if he succeeded yeah. she'd be ripped apart yes yes like there'd be nothing of her to send back no and i think that's the point yeah that i think that's the terrifies point because me. she will be scared for her life in a way that won't send her back yeah like when a woman is when, when a person is raped i shouldn't even say a woman because obviously anybody yeah be raped but when somebody is raped right Unless that person has like a gun to your head or a knife, right? You might not be afraid for your life. Mm-hmm. You're afraid for like your psyche. You're afraid for your spirit. You're afraid for the parts of your body that are going to be broken. But you're not like, when this is over, I'm going to die. And for many people, that's the worst part, mm-hmm. right? Is that you now have to live with this stain yeah. on you for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. right? And he finally like whether he knowingly does this or it's just a progression of his madness Mm -hmm. um and his and his his total depravity but he puts her in a position where she is afraid for her life Mm -hmm. but not in a way that is going to transport her home yeah so she would not have been whole she would not have been normal she would have there like you said there would have been nothing to send back Mm -hmm. but again there wouldn't have been a reason to send back because she wouldn't have felt like she was going to die yeah do you see what i'm saying it wouldn't have been a trauma great enough for her to get transported back to her time and finally save her life mm-hmm. and that is again i don't it's, it's never really said i think butler purposely leaves this open-ended mm-hmm. to allow the reader to kind of like take up that space with their own imagination and their own mind and their own perspectives mm-hmm. but i do think that there is a reason that 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 for that you know what i'm saying if she hadn't been able to assert herself if she hadn't been able to put hands on him mm-hmm. if she hadn't been able to mitigate what was surely going to happen to her if she had left her bag behind as her husband wanted her to mm-hmm. i don't think she would have ever been able to go home again because yeah. she would have been so changed by that mm-hmm. that i don't think anything would have sent her home after that short of actually killing herself yeah and even then, like you said, there'd be nothing to send. Yeah. Like, terrifying. And, like, even how it happens, right? Like, his, his he's, he's clamped onto her arm. Mm-hmm. And she teleports back. And obviously it's, like, symbolic. But it also is, like, logical, right? Like, something's on her arm. She can't access her arm. When she comes back, that has to be, mm-hmm. right? Those are the terms. Those are the those are the, those are the terms of her condition, right? Like if she's on the floor, balled up in in you know in a fetal position, that's normally how she finds herself mm-hmm. back in her time, right? Like in that same hunched over position or laying face down mm-hmm. or whatever position her body is in, right? So we should expect that something would happen to her arm 
But I also feel like it's a larger commentary on the fact that a part of her will forever be back in the 1800s. Yeah. Forever. For sure. Like it is unbreakable. It is irreversible. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that they take her arm as a writer, like that's huge, especially because she has a hard time even recording what's happening to her. Like everything she writes, she throws away. She even makes it a point to talk about the things that she goes away and writes sometimes Mm -hmm. and then burns after because it's just for her. It's not for anyone else. It's not for Kevin. He's never read any of it. Like she makes it a point to have writing to validate herself and her experience that even her partner doesn't have any access to. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like the amount of loneliness in that thought, like, yes, it's good to have your own stuff, but she has that because she knows that she can't seek solace with her partner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, flashing back to the beginning of the book where like, she's trying to explain what happened to her. Mm -hmm. That to me is the part that's the most chilling because you realize that like, she doesn't want to explain what happened to her Mm -hmm. after that conversation about, well, did he do that thing to you? That I can't say. And by that I mean, did he rape you? Did you have consensual sex with him? Yeah. Worse. Did you have consensual sex with him? How is she supposed to talk about that with him now that her arm is ripped off? I can't imagine she would. I don't think she said a single thing about it. Like, I don't think she ever tells him. Like, we we know that she says nothing even in the hospital. Yeah. She stays silent the whole time. For pages. Mm -hmm. She stays absolutely silent. And when the police ask, did Kevin do this? All she can say is no. Yeah. But very similar to how Rufus killed Alice, Mm -hmm. he definitely, Kevin definitely played a role in her arm being missing. A hundred and ten percent. Yeah. And like the worst thing too is like she thinks about it. Like while this is happening, she's like, can I follow through with stabbing him? You know? And. Yep. Like she's literally down to a him or me. Mm -hmm. And that's what it takes for her to kill him. Is a him or me. And even then, she feels bad. Mm -hmm. What about the people I left behind? What's going to happen to them? Yeah. Did I pick the right time? Was it wrong of me to to do that at that moment? Yeah. Like, she has to question whether or not her choice to remain safe and intact, which, like, that's, that's crazy, too. The idea that in order to remain sane and intact, she has to lose something. Mm Mm-hmm. She can't just be okay. She literally has to give up a piece of herself to be whole. Yeah. To stay whole. Like that's like this book is fantastic. I know. This is one of the best books I think I've ever read in my life. It changes me every time I read Mm -hmm. it. And like, I, I just, you know, even if you are not a black person, I think the idea, especially if you are a survivor Mm -hmm. of abuse or of any kind of violence or trauma, the idea of having to give something up to be okay, Mm -hmm. um, especially if you go to therapy, like that is not a new idea. A lot of people have to give things up Mm -hmm. to be okay long term, right? And seeing this person that we're so invested in have to make that decision, knowing this entire time she's going to lose her arm. And then in the last like four pages of the book go, she loses her arm as a way to prevent the entire destruction of her person. Yeah. Like you've been reading this book now for 260 pages and you find out she has no arm because she chose that instead of absolute destruction. Mm -hmm. Like that's like, 
like what a way to end a character story arc yeah like what a way i know this this book ruined me yeah man like it breaks you down it builds you back up and then it smashes all your legos and then you step on them i know like i feel like even just after this recording i'm gonna have to take a nap like i'm gonna just have to not be a person for a little bit i feel you i have a little bit of a headache <laughs> i totally feel right? you. it's a lot it is a lot but sometimes i think that those are the texts that are the most most worth oh, reading yeah. like I don't know if you've read uh, uh, Bastard Out of Carolina um, by Dorothy Allison. That is a story of a poor, uh, rural, um, uh, uh, low, low income family in the sticks. Um, excellent book. Very, very hard read. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, uh, I think, either autobiographical or semi-autobiographical. She's a survivor. She lived an incredibly challenging life. Um, it is a slog. It is extremely hard to read. Uh, similar to this one if not a little worse because you know that there's truth to what she's saying i mean granted there's truth to this as well Mm -hmm. this is very well researched very well put together you learn while you read kindred about the time period and about what happened Mm -hmm. you learn a lot of facts you might not know even if you've studied this before Mm -hmm. um it is an exhaustive um report of antebellum slavery Mm -hmm. right Of, of, of slavery in the south however um, there are some fantastic points, right? Dana is not a real person. You are not, these are not real people that you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? In Ambassador Hel- in, in out of Carolina, um, she is a real person who's telling her own story. So there's like, it just hits very different yeah. when you're reading it because it's a firsthand narrative of this trauma that this person encountered. But like, again, a book like that, while it is hard to read and it is sad and you will cry and you will feel very bad, mm-hmm. like reading someone's testament, someone's testimony of their life to me, like there's no greater honor. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel about this book, right? Even though this isn't like one person's testimony of an actual thing that happened to them, mm-hmm. it is the testimony of hundreds of thousands of black people who have lived, been born, been kidnapped, and then died mm-hmm. in or around slavery. And the long lasting uh markings that it has led on african-american people and honestly black people around the world there are plenty of people black british people i'm sure feel this way black portuguese people right anybody that lives in a place that used to have slaves and is in that place because of slavery i mean you look at haiti right haiti is you know a slave colony Mm -hmm. that whole country was made up by people who were able to escape to freedom Mm -hmm. and yet now is one of the poorest countries in the world right so why how did that happen yeah oh i wonder nobody wanted to help them yeah i'm saying nobody wanted to help them so people who were like oh like trump was like those shithole countries i'm like yeah and how'd they get that way Mm -hmm. those are people who fought for their freedom and failed yeah right or they won the freedom and then everybody was like well now you don't need our help anymore because you know you're free, right? That's what you wanted. Yeah. It's like that that petty, like, you said you didn't need us. You know what I mean? Which is exactly how Black Americans were treated until, I mean, even today still sometimes. Plus, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's 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 a lot. And I like that she gives us an epilogue. I really needed the epilogue. Yeah. In some books, I'm just like, I don't care. It's over. Yeah, literally. <laughs> There's nothing else you could say to me. But in this book, I was like, is there something else, please? Yeah. Can you give me... A silver lining. I know. So in the epilogue, Dana and Kevin eventually go out to Maryland. Uh, They found out that Rufus died in a house fire. All the slaves were sold. Um, Dana thinks Nigel did this to cover up Dana's stabbing. They find Mm -hmm. out, though, that Nigel and Carrie were not listed on the people sold list. 
Correct. Which is interesting. And the thing that I think is the most interesting about that is that their kids are. Which means Nigel understands enough that Carrie cannot really get sold again. Like, Carrie cannot speak. So he had to sacrifice his children and his family to get his wife to safety. That's right. So basically his him and his wife are considered dead pretty much yeah um and then at the end like there's this moment where dana's like trying to say about like how she didn't want to have had to kill rufus because Mm -hmm. of this moment and kevin's like you need to stop defending him and it's like she's not no she's not no and she's even telling him she says yeah it's self-defense she never tells him yeah. what happened in those final mm-hmm. moments. And you know that that is a direct result of how he reacted the first time. Yes. And so now this person is in the 20th century mm-hmm. and they still have to deal with that trauma alone. Yes. Like. And no one can possibly relate to her. That's the worst part too is she doesn't have yep. Sarah. She doesn't have Alice. She doesn't have Tess who all kind of were able to relate to her and the things she went through. Yep. She is yep. no one. And, and like, and there, and there's your arm metaphor, mm-hmm. right? An arm has hands, a finger attached, mm-hmm. right? Fingers attached, something that helps give you reach, something that helps you feel connected, mm-hmm. helps you interpret touch, mm-hmm. right? Gives you the most human of sensations. Yeah. And hers is gone. Yeah. Quite figuratively and quite literally, right? Mm-hmm. Like she now has this un, un, unspeakable secret. Mm-hmm. She has a man that she now knows doesn't really have her back yeah. and her best interests in mind. Um, part of the reason Rufus was able to control her is because in his own way, Kevin told him how. Yeah. You know? And she kind of has to be with him mm-hmm. because who else could she be with? Yeah. Who else is going to understand when she has these moments, right? But she still leaves with a secret. And she still leaves without family and that bond and that connection. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a piece of her literally will always be in the past with her arm, mm-hmm. but a piece of her figuratively in her heart is always stuck in the past. The only time that she has ever felt seen mm-hmm. and heard and known and understood and will never feel that way again. And then Kevin has the gall to end this fucking book mm-hmm. by saying, now that Rufus is dead, we have some chance of saying sane. And I'm uh, like, we? We? You. We? You think she's going to be sane? Yeah. If she, imagine if she went through Alzheimer's or dementia. Like imagine yeah. that, right? Imagine she's 60, 70 years old and she's getting up there and maybe it takes her, right? People with Alzheimer's or dementia flash back to previous moments in their lives. What happens if she goes back to there? Yeah. Like, we have a chance of staying sane now that that boy is gone as though it was all his fault. We end the book with Kevin taking no responsibility or interest Uh in his wife's healing. That's how we end the book. And it's like, she can't go to a therapist. Like, what are you going to say? No. I mean, back then people didn't even do therapy at that point in the seventies. Like imagine though that hippies did therapy. This is right now. (laughs) And you could go to therapy. Like you can't, you cannot, there's no way to explain. I'll say correct. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yep, she touches the scar that Tom Whalen's boot leaves on her face. Touches her empty left sleeve. Like, mm. she's left 
with an actual emptiness. Yeah. And is forever changed by this. Mm -hmm. And he's like, time to move on. I know. I don't, I, uh, I don't know how Dana could possibly stand to live with him for the rest of her life. Again, I think it's, I think it's an understanding of what it means to be put upon. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying, right? She, she passes such harsh judgment on Sarah Mm -hmm. about being this mammy archetype, right? Yeah. And how she just puts up with anything. And now she's like, oh, this is why you get driven to put up with Mm -hmm. anything. Because the alternative is worse. And for her, I imagine being alone after suffering through this trauma is way worse. Oh, yeah. You know, like that's way worse. The only good thing that I can say about this ending is that her lack of one arm Mm -hmm. means that he won't ask her to fucking be his secretary. That's like the one good thing. Yeah that I can say about the way that this ends I know. is that he can no longer take advantage of her in the same way. But like, what is that? That is not yeah. a silver lining. I know it's so bad. <sighs> that was a lot. Such a good so book. If you, if you guys are reading this version that we're reading, it is a cover that has a really pretty uh, black woman on it. Uh, looking kind of down and then you can see like the the houses from the plantation on the bottom and it's kind of like a sepia tone kind of effect sort of um the reader's guide in the back i did read the critical essay by robert crossley i learned a couple of interesting things it's good um but it's also it's 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 also something that's very easy to skim and it basically talks about like the history of the slave narrative and how contemporary authors are also using that like Toni Morrison's Beloved or Dessa Rose, uh, which is another one that I read by uh, Shirley Ann Williams. Um, it talks about, you know, the the way that, you know, Kindred was received. Apparently the entire uh, city of Rochester, New York, they have an annual tradition called everyone in Rochester reads the same book. And this was their third choice, like their third year they were doing it. Mm-hmm. They did this book. Um, and apparently this is, and I mean, and I think we already kind of talked about this, how different this is from her other works. Her other works are, again, they, she still centers conversations about race, gender, intersectionality, mm-hmm. right? Very much at the center of all of her writings. But this book is one that is unique because she actually was against it being marketed to sci-fi. Because she's like, there's no science in this book. Yeah. If anything, it's, it's, it's dark fantasy, mm-hmm. if anything. Which I can understand, but I think time travel automatically puts you in the sci-fi category, which honestly, I don't really mind. Yeah. Because I think that the science doesn't really matter. Like, there's no explanation. Like, you're not meant to dissect whether or not if you broke open the wall of Dana's house, is her arm in there, right? Like, that's not... This is not about logic. Yeah. And I think it's not about logic because of because what happens to her and what happens to millions of black people mm-hmm. um, coming over from Africa and being ported and sold like chattel, like animals or so many livestock, mm-hmm. right? There was no logic there. Yeah. That was an illogical moment in time of great greed and selfishness. Mm-hmm. And I think that the idea that people are no longer capable of doing that and that we shouldn't talk about it because it's the past is hubris at best and poisonous at worst. Yeah. Um, I think that this book, if it does anything well, is to prove that vigilance is something that we need. I mean, she is horribly unprepared to go back to this time. And I would argue that somebody who is, I mean, she's, she's 27. She turns 27 in the past when she's there. Mm-hmm. I would argue that the average 27 year old, like, I mean, you're 25, uh, 20, 
three right now. I'll be 24 in March. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's been a weird couple of years. Okay. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's what I'm saying. Like you're 23, mm-hmm. right? So for you, like as a white person, you would have a hard time being transported back to the early 1800s, yeah. right? Let alone like dealing with people of color or slavery at all, just as a, as a woman, mm-hmm. And as a modern person, going back to this time period would be a lot, yeah. right? Um, if this book were rewritten from the perspective of a modern 27-year-old Black woman, that would be a disaster. I imagine that person would last maybe a day. Yeah. Um, because, like, again, you're not used to needing to behave a certain way in some circles mm-hmm. necessarily, right? Like, you're not used to being a little quieter around a certain type of person. Like, you're used to being out and loud and proud mm-hmm. and, you know, the Black Matter, Black Lives Matter movement. And you're used to, you know, seeing, like, pictures of, you know, your, your ancestors or people who came before you fighting for civil rights. Like, mm-hmm. there's all this, like, there's all these other examples of how to be. Whereas, like, Dana had very few. Yeah. And she struggled. Mm -hmm. So like, it's just interesting to me to think like how, how different this would be if it were published now versus Mm -hmm. before and how different this is from the rest of, of, of Butler's books. Like if you read any of her other books, it's nothing, they're nothing like this. They are strong Mm sci-fi, right? So they're set in space. There's a colony on Mars. There's, you know, a vampire that's a black vampire. I I have that book now. Fledgling? I grabbed it. It's very strange. Stick with it. Okay. I got the odd um, book, so we'll see how that goes. So that's what I listened to, too. Bonnie Turpin is pretty good. She does a lot of Afri- African-American and um, BIPOC uh, books, actually. Uh-huh. Um, she's super, super, uh, super dynamic voice, too. She can kind of encompass a lot of different vibes. Um, so I, I definitely recommend. That's the version that I listen to as uh-huh. well, um, the one that you're about to listen to. Um and something else I think that this like little afterward points out is like the names of the chapters and like the significance there, which I think we discussed yeah. a little bit, like why each chapter is called that, how, you know, it's divided into like the journey of both Dana and Rufus mm-hmm. and what kind of sets them off. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you guys, if you listeners uh, get this book, definitely do yourself the favor of reading the reader's guide. Um, it's actually a pretty decent one. A lot of times it kind of feels thrown together. Um, but this is very well researched. It gives you a really nice uh, selected bibliography of Octavia Butler's, as well as notes um, that led to this person's reading of the book, mm-hmm. and then some discussion questions at the end, in case you wanted to do something like this yourself yeah. and kind of ask, you know, your friends or whatever to talk to you or read this book with you. Um, it's 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 a very it's a very important book, in my opinion, far more important than I think anyone really knows. Because it has not received the airtime that I think it deserves. Yeah. Um, and again, a lot of people don't read these days. They read like online stuff or whatever. They don't like actually like pick up a book, which part of it is like the number of hours that you have to work and the amount of money you make mm-hmm. for those hours has gone completely bananas. And people have to work like a million hours just to like make ends meet. Yeah. So I understand why people don't read like they used to. I understand why I don't read like mm-hmm. I used to. I'm a huge bookworm. My whole house is filled to the brim with books and there's more and more of them that I do not have time to read, but I still keep collecting them because one day I'm going to be old, damn it. Mood. I'm going to read all my books. I can't wait to retire. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to be a reading fool. Where's Book It then? Does Pizza Hut still have Book It? They better. Not that I would eat the Pizza Hut, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. I, I mean well. But yeah, I, I just, this is a stunning novel in more ways than one. Um, 
her ability, Octavia Butler's ability to write a character from a place of unmissable understanding. Mm -hmm. I feel like pretty much anybody could read this and feel away. I think it would take a lot for someone to read this and feel nothing. Yeah. Um, and I think that those are the best kinds of books. Like there are a lot of modern like novels, especially like horror and things like that, that are more my wheelhouse that I like pick up, you know, fantasy, whatever mm -hmm. that lack a purpose. Mm -hmm. They lack a, they lack a perspective. They lack any kind of understanding of what they're discussing. Right. There's no, greater meaning mm -hmm. it's just a snapshot or it's just something weird that happens but i feel like the greatest novels are those that do more than just transport us and and you know expand our imaginations they're also those that deeply root us in the world that we live in as well mm -hmm. right and it gives you a new way to think about something a new and fresh perspective and to me this is probably one of the most uh successful novels as far as really trying to not just educate not just inspire, but also underscore the past while kind of shining a different light on one's future or present. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I'm really, I'm really thankful that you agreed to read this with me. Like, I, yeah, I'm such a fan. <laughs> I'm so glad because I was like, I was nervous because it's not technically probably considered modern classics, but I was like looking mm -hmm. at the time period and I was like, I read the like synopsis and I was like, ah, it's going to be a modern classic to me. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, it's, it's hard. Cause like, sometimes I feel like there's uh with my podcast. When I say I t discuss modern classics and classic literature, people really want to file away. What is a modern classic and mm -hmm. modern classic. is still something that's being developed. And yeah. I, this is my podcast. So what I say goes, so <laughs> well i mean part of part of it too though like anybody that comes to you and says this isn't a modern classic is absolutely wrong yeah. because she was the first known black sci-fi author mm -hmm. let alone black female sci-fi author she has inspired dozens if not hundreds of writers since coming out yeah. right um the other day so perfect example right the oscars mm -hmm. only one black woman has ever won for best actress only four have ever been nominated oh my god the Oscars have been going on for almost a hundred years. Yeah. Like alone going, Halle Berry is the first black woman to win. That's even worse, right? When you find out it's Halle Berry for Monsters Ball, because that took place after 2000, right? That's even worse Monster? when you realize it's been like the last, the last 20 years, a black person won best actress, right? That's even worse. We've never had a black, a, a black person win for best director. Oh my God. You see yeah. what I'm saying? So like those facts aren't things that like keep you up at night. You're not like walking to the grocery store and you're like, you know what I thought about? Like, it's yeah. not something that's like going to come up, but when you realize it, it makes you go, Oh, racism though. Yeah. Right. Like you're immediately like, hold on. It's not, especially when you the worst thing is too, is, you know, it's not because like they are any less an actress than they're, you right. know, and then like people are like, well, you're nitpicking. And I'm like, am I though? Because, no. you know, it's, <laughs> no. it's just a little suspicious. It's super suspicious. Yeah. If I told you every year I give away a prize mm -hmm. and I win every year, that's very suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know what I mean? So, so kind of taking that idea of, you know, the statistics look worse than the reality, mm -hmm. right? The reality is, oh, yeah, well, you know, 
you know, uh, but maybe, maybe, you know, all those movies, are just a coincidence, right? You can say that just when it's on paper, mm-hmm. but when you actually think about the statistics of it, right? How many people have been nominated versus how many people have won? I think the number of black directors to even be nominated is disgustingly small. Yeah. Like when you really take the data and you compare it, then you're like, hmm, there's a problem. Yeah. There, right. So going back to modern classics and the definition of modern classics, right? So the idea of a classic is something that has an, a long lasting effect mm-hmm. on the on 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 both writers and readers right that's what a classic is a modern classic would be then we would understand Mm -hmm. that to be something that was written i'd imagine you know that needle is moving because we're moving forward in time so once upon a time i'm sure it was after the 1800s is modern Mm -hmm. classic now i'm sure it's probably after the 1900s is modern classic right because we're in the 2000s so just by virtue of that this is a modern classic Mm -hmm. it was written in the 1900s uh, it has inspired gen- multitudes of people, you know, of all different backgrounds and races mm-hmm. uh, to write and to become writers and to, you know, you know, stick by their authorship, et cetera, so on and so forth. She paved all kinds of roads for people, mm-hmm. right? So just by that standard, it is a modern classic. However, something that I think I would challenge anybody who tries to say that this isn't a modern classic or what does that mean yeah. or whatever, right? And break that down because our world is extremely racist and has been racist Mm -hmm. for some time. If you do a show that's just modern classics, where do you have space for black authors? Because black authors weren't really published, Mm -hmm. which means you're only going to be reading white people. Yeah. Right. You're not really going to be reading women unless it's like Mary Shelley, who originally published under a pseudonym Mm -hmm. or like George Eliot or right. You're not going to be like getting like the women, the feminist perspective in Mm -hmm. there. How have the women struggle? You're going to be getting men writing narratives about women like they know. Right. Like there's a lot that you're just not going to get. I mean, the Harlem Renaissance, 1920s America, Mm -hmm. right. 1920s New York. If those aren't modern classics, I don't know what are. But if you say, oh, no, well, J.M. Barry is a modern classic, right? Peter Pan, modern yeah. classic. Or Huck Finn, that's a modern classic. Okay, well, you know, Huck Finn's got N-word Jim in it. So, you know, that's what I'm reduced to. I'm reduced to, because when, the, when those stories were written, people were still picking cotton with their bare hands yeah. and getting, you know, strung up in a tree somewhere to you know prove that they hadn't whistled at some white lady mm-hmm. you know what i mean like that's that's what black people were busy doing we weren't like chilling at our type yeah, writing, right like, book, writing things, casually. Right? so so it's like you know i think that there's a lot of academia mm-hmm. that um needs to take a hard look at itself in the mirror yeah right um there's actually a really great show on this topic called the share it's on Netflix. It's a short, limited series. It's only about six or eight episodes long. And I think they're going to do another season, but I'm not positive. It's starring Sandra Oh. And essentially, she is the first woman of color, mm-hmm. the first woman and the first person of color, both at the same time, to lead this English department at a prestigious university, mm-hmm. right? And she has all of these tenured professors that are all old white guys mm-hmm. that are settled in. They're teaching the same thing they've been teaching for 50 years, right? Mm-hmm. They're teaching... You know, all, all the stuff you always read, right? Twain, they're teaching, uh, you know, the, the, the romantics, they're teaching, um, you know, existential people, they're teaching, you know, Walden Pond, they're teaching, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like all that shit, right? They're teaching exactly what you would expect, right? Thoreau, whatever. But kids today are reading Moby Dick going, so this is just about white supremacy? I haven't read Moby Dick, so and give this, me nothing else. <laughs> this white teacher is like, what? No, it's about man's inner struggle. And this like 50% person of color, 50% younger white children who are like too smart Mm -hmm. for that shit are like, can we talk about the implications though? Why aren't there any women in this book? Yeah. 
So like, that's what I'm saying. Like modern, like who decides what a modern classic is at that point? Because like those men, to those men, those are modern classics. That's what they grew up with. That's what they believe. That's what we're all taught in school, Mm -hmm. right? I grew up having to read all that stuff. There are a lot of books by white dudes that I have not read because I've just refused. Everybody else is reading them. They don't need more readers. (laughs) I mean, I just go, no, thank you. Moving on. Maybe one day when on a lark, I'll read them. But right now, I mean, it's not really changing my life. I think the only book that I've really read that's like a modern classic that really like did something for me by like a mainstream regular white author that everybody is like, oh Jesus, he's so great, is uh The Great Gatsby. Oh, love The Great Gatsby. That book is spectacular. Oh, yeah. Like I will not hear a bad word about it, right? But like you get something like To Kill a Mockingbird. That took a lady to write. I haven't read and that yet. Apparently like you've never read it. Oh my God, honey, it's gonna change your That's world. what Daniel told me. He said that's someone I have to find I have to find someone to read yep. that with me. I haven't it is no one's right it's a great yet. counterpart to this okay. book. it's a great counterpart to this book if you need somebody i will come back and i will read that with you we could we oh, could do it, it. Is so good. we could do it we want to listen don't tempt me oh, with a good so time good. let's do it listen i'm down because it is so good Excellent. and i found out the other day that harper lee the author mm-hmm. right she had a story in her heart and she was like yo i keep dreaming about the story i need to write this story i gotta get it her friends for christmas mm-hmm. banded together and raised enough money to pay her like six months salary so that she could quit her job and write one of the greatest American novels ever written. That's the story of To Kill a Mockingbird. That's so cool. Mind blowing. It's the coolest thing ever. Her friends were like, we believe in you, girl. You could do it. And she did it. And she did the Imagine friends that good. Like, oh my God. Listen, my whole life, right? So like, that's, that's what I'm saying, right? Like, I think that so much goes into what a modern classic mm-hmm. is. To me, it should be less about, you know, the t- the, the test of time mm-hmm. and more about what it says to people now. Yeah. How relevant is your book now, right? We're reading Kindred. It's all about 1976. We're talking about <laughs> 1976 modern, yeah. right? We're being like dumb about it. But like, it still matters. Mm-hmm. I can still take so much away from this text. When I read Tom Sawyer, what am I taking away other than you can trick somebody into painting a fence for free? Like, what am I getting Mm -hmm. out of that? Am I getting a snapshot of the white experience through the eyes of an 11-year-old boy in the 1800s? Maybe. Maybe that's what I'm getting. Do I need that? Is that changing my life any? Is it going to help me in my race relations or dealing yeah. with people who are different than me? No. I know. I've, no, I've decided not. to open up modern <laughs> classics. Like when I agreed to this book, I was like, I threw caution to the wind. Like this is I think that one was of the good. bigger risks I took. Not, no, not really. But like, this is like a defining moment for the podcast in my mind yeah. where I was like, I don't really care what everyone considers a modern classic. Yep. I want to read yep. things that I want to read. So here we go. And that's excellent because again, like it is taking people in the literary sphere time, Mm -hmm. right? They actually had a scandal a few years ago. Um, They decided to try to be more inclusive, Mm -hmm. right? But instead of like opening up the number of spots that they have for writers of color, they instead like Scholastic was like, send us your manuscript. If you're a black creator, send us your manuscript. We'll read it and we'll tell you if we want to publish it. I never heard hide nor hair. I submitted. They did not. They did not go with me. No salt. Yeah. Right? My my work was good, but like I know that I can self publish. It's not a big deal. Like I'm not like gonna cry mm-hmm. about it. Right. It's not. I don't feel rejected. They just went with someone else. But who did they go with? Yeah. Who knows? I don't think they ever followed up. Right. There was another publisher. I think it was Random House or Penguin. Maybe mm-hmm. they had some classics that they had in their in their catalog. Mm-hmm. They had 
people of color who are artists come up with new covers for the books, right? That were more inclusive covers. Mm -hmm. And at first I was really excited because I love Mm -hmm. art. Like I love artwork. I love book artwork. It's really awesome. I feel like the cover of a book can make or break it sometimes in a big way. Um, That's probably wrong because you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. We all do. The best cliche of all time. But let's be honest. When you're standing at Total Wine or the liquor store and you're looking for something to drink, you're not like, oh, this label's so ugly. I'm sure this wine is delicious. That's not what happens. I'm saying I've been tricked by many a bottle, a beautiful Mm -hmm. bottle of of excessively mediocre wine. (laughs) Um, So that's what I'm saying about a book. Like you got to at least put your best foot Mm -hmm. forward, right? It doesn't have to be you know, spectacular. You don't have to have like, you know, fireworks and shit. And like, you know, you open the book and it plays a little song. Like, you don't have to have anything crazy, but like, it's got to look mm-hmm. right, you know? And I think that that's what drew me in at first is that they had gone out of their way to hire black artists to pay black people. That's awesome. But then somebody was like, yeah, but what happens in little women when you like turn the page and they're talking about Meg's creamy white skin. And I'm like, Hmm, that does happen. <laughs> that is a little rough i understand how you feel right and like some people are like oh well why don't the black people just write their own stories like racism isn't a problem and being published isn't a problem and the greatest fucking writer of black comics so far in life hasn't been white dude brian michael bendis like you know what i'm saying it hasn't been like white people going you know what we need more people of color let me write one instead of hey person who's not in comics and probably doesn't have a portfolio but you do really good writing otherwise can you write me something which is what's starting to happen right like roxanne gay writing for black panther Mm -hmm. for example right she's not a comic book author but she did a great run right um it should be from your heart so i think that when you are going through and you are making these decisions you are part of this next generation of of critics Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? People were not happy. They felt like it was just too little too late because there are a lot of black people that are getting like told by their white editors, oh, tone this down. Mm -hmm. This is too critical. This is too tough. No one's going to want to read this. You're digging too deep. Uh, You know, this is really graphic, you know, things like that, right? They're they're being combative and they're not being understanding and and welcoming and open Mm -hmm. to the fact that like you can't judge every book the same. Like you can't walk into a room with Danielle Steele and Octavia Butler and tell them that they both need to have really pleasant copies of their books. Like they're, they're completely different genres. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like they're never going to be the same. You can't judge one woman's experience by the other. You have to come at it from a more personal perspective. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're dealing with white authors, they have more of a shared background and a shared experience because they're not going through the additional layers, yeah. Right. And even then, if you're dealing with somebody who's a survivor, and is writing a memoir, you're not going to deal with them the same way you're going to deal with Larry the Cable Guy writing his memoir. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, that's just common sense. But people don't always exercise that towards authors of color, whether they are black, white, Asian, you know, if like a, if they're like a biracial white minority or something like that, or if they're Jewish mm-hmm. or, you know what I mean? Or if they're Italian, if they have some kind of nationality and ethnicity that people misunderstand or their stereotypes galore mm-hmm. for, right? And I think that because of that, uh, kind of incongruence there, you're seeing a lot of smaller publishers, right? You're seeing a lot of people doing self-publishing. Bashti Harrison has a really beautiful set of children's books that she published herself that are immensely popular and led to her success, mm-hmm. right? She gambled on herself because nobody else wanted to publish her. She sat down with a bunch of, you know, Random House, Scholastic, all of that. They didn't publish. Mm-hmm. They were like, ah, eh, we're good. So she was like, fine, I'll make it myself. And now she has like five in her series or something like that. And people love it. I have, I have her mm-hmm. books. You know, so I think that like the change comes from the people that it most affects. No one I've actually talked to about this book has known what it was. 
Like no one has ever heard of this book. I hadn't heard of this book until you told me about it. So I hope that this is like a good episode and everybody enjoys it and that you all will read the book yourself. Same. But yeah. It'll change your life. It'll change your life for the better. Absolutely. Like there's been a lot of, of, of emotion on this call. And like to tell you that it's not an emotional book would be to do you a huge Mm -hmm. disservice, dear listener. It truly. (laughs) But I, I do, I do think that, you know, you're doing the right thing listening to someone like Rachel, Uh because I think that, you know, questioning the status quo is what ushers us into an exciting and, you know, just a really fertile, you know, future of equity and equality and people thinking about more than just themselves, you know, like being a person of color, you automatically have to think about other people than Mm -hmm. yourself. Because if you do not think about how a white person is going to feel about whatever it is that you're doing, you are not prepared for the fallout when someone has a problem with you, right? When somebody says something, I mean, again, bringing up what happened to me on Twitch, like I should have expected that someone was going to troll me. It sucks to be, Mm -hmm. to have to like go online, think you're going to do something fun and expect to have a bad time. That's not fun. That's not fun for anybody. And if I leave, does that change anything? No. So, you know, in your case, you saying, you know, fuck what other people think are modern classics. I'm going to define those rules for myself. Mm-hmm. Like you're a leader in that space. And I think that it's something that a lot of publications and, and, and publishers are doing right now are redefining what that means, redefining what makes a classic, redefining you know, again, like there's a company called Out of Print. They have two or three different Octavia Butler shirts. None of them are kindred, mm-hmm. but they've got two or three shirts with her books on. Love the that company because they recognized me too. They're one of my favorites. I love supporting them, and I think that you know, again, they're also change makers. Mm-hmm. Like they're not public, they're not publishers, but they are breathing life and shining light on books that have been overlooked by people that are definitely modern classics that definitely matter that have definitely changed and shaped the future that we are now experiencing of literature of literature mm-hmm. and i think that the more people that kind of question that right that put that out there like you can't have uncle tom's cabin as a modern classic but then not have the counterpoint to it mm-hmm. you know you can't be reading just uncle tom's cabin and that's your one snapshot of of slavery in America. Yeah. Right. Like that's the only modern classic that would be like, you know, the, the criterion collection, not having any Spike Lee in it. Mm-hmm. You got to have Spike Lee in the criterion collection. You've got to have, you know, Akira Kurosawa in the criterion collection. There's no star Wars without Akira Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. If there wasn't that Japanese filmmaker and his incredible vision, we would have no George Lucas the way that we have him. Yeah. Now, right. So like, I think a lot of people think that, you know, it's it's weird or it's marginalizing to like put those things in there or it's unnecessary but this is a book that you know very much like you know the work of akira kurosawa like this is a book that transcends race Mm -hmm. is it about race yes do you have to be black to read this and understand it and be changed by it absolutely not and it takes people like you going hey this is worth it yeah like you need to be changed by this That's what literature and art are supposed Mm -hmm. to do. They're supposed to be transformative. They're supposed to make the world a better place. They're supposed to make people feel seen and heard. And that's something that I think we desperately need right now. So, you know, this has been an absolute pleasure. And I am forever thankful that we discussed this and that we did this because like, wow. I know. I feel really good about it. I can't wait to see like once more people start listening to it. I can't wait to see everyone's reactions. Yeah. I really hope everybody reads it Mm because it's so good. 
And I hope I get to come back. Yes. Come back. <laughs> come hang out with me. But dear listeners, that is all we have time for today. Candace, where can all the people of the internet find you? You guys can find me on YouTube and Instagram at Candace the Magnificent, all one word. You can also find me on Twitter at that Candace girl. And then you can find me around the internet. Um, take, take a look at both of those uh, platforms. I usually update you as to what I am doing. Um, coming up soon, I'm going to be on a couple of uh, tabletop role-playing game actual play streams. So if you are into tabletop role-playing or if you are into storytelling at all, uh, definitely please follow, um, follow me there. Um, and hopefully you will also hear from me again on the Barely Bookish podcast yes. in the future. <laughs> yes. But we will catch you guys later in the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Barely Bookish Podcast. If you want to find me, I am at Barely Bookish on literally everything, so you can find me wherever you would like. Also, if you want more content, please consider joining the Patreon for just as low as $1 a month. You get access to a bunch of bonus content, uh, early access to episodes, and also you get access to the patron-only Discord. So lots of cool, fun stuff, um, and you can just, it's all donation-based, so you can join as low as a dollar if you would like. But yeah, we're next, we're going to be doing Peter Pan, which is very, very exciting. I am very hyped for that. I hope you all will enjoy it. Um, so make sure you start reading. Next week we will start with Peter Pan. So if you start reading now, then you'll be all caught up. But it Peter Pan is going to probably be about three episodes. So that gives you an idea of how you should split it up. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will catch you all next week. Our logo was designed by my little sibling, Sarah. Our theme song was by Raphael Crux. I'll catch you all later. Bye!